Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have you with us on this Sunday morning. And uh, before uh, Daryl runs off too quickly, um, I want to say that the the song that we just sang, Hosanna, is a song that we bring out this time of year, um, I guess for appropriate reasons. It's like you don't sing White Christmas in June. You know, you kind of don't sing Easter songs uh, at Christmas time. So we bring it around at this time of year, and uh, Thursday uh, evening I was up here for uh, something that was going to occur later that night, and I went upstairs to the uh, rehearsal room, the New Heights rehearses right above the uh, the backstage area in the air conditioning room. Yeah, that's where they rehearse, uh, and it's nice and, you know, quiet in there. Uh, and they were rehearsing this song, A.J. and Daryl were, and they were trying to do something different with it. I don't know if you watch American Idol, but they're always like, you know, make the song your own. You know, you didn't make it your own. And uh, so they were trying to make it their own, as uh, as artists do. And I was just going through the song in my head, and I was like, oh, this song pumps me up. I'm, it's such a great song and everything. And I was trying to think, is this Chris Tomlin? Like, who wrote this song? And then I realized it was Daryl. Um, Daryl and Fredo, our keyboard player. And uh, uh, wait. Wait for it. And you can't make it your own when it is your own, you know. Um, but but I was just I was just reminded how incredible that song was, and how blessed we are as a community to have someone like Daryl as our worship leader, and Fredo, and AJ, and August, and Jeff, and and Richard, and uh, the Brit Lawrence, uh, who's not here this day, um, and uh, the other Jeff, and all the people that are on our worship team. We're very blessed to have who we have. And uh, I, I got to tell you, right now around all of Indiana. This song is being played because Daryl is huge in Indiana. <laughs> Don't know why, but he is. So uh, let's go ahead. Now you can. Um, that's really true. I mean, they love him in Indiana. He gets radio play in Indiana. I mean, it's really funny. Um, I guess because he's tall and redheaded. They think of Hoosiers or something. I think he once played for them or something. I don't know. Um, but we are uh, we are on uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, it's the day, and there's Fredo in the back. He uh, disappears, but he usually comes back. Uh, so if you see him, he's the guy not paying attention. Now pointing. Now he's looking down, shaking a hand. He's still not listening to me. That's about right. Um, well, we, uh, we are on Palm Sunday, and next week will be Easter. And as Daryl said, there is a slight chance, 60% chance thunderstorm, that there will be rain on Sunday. Um, that's what they're saying right now, 60% chance of thunderstorms. And so we're not going to be out there. You know, I can do a lot of things. I can do heat. I can do cold. I can do snow, wind, hail. I just don't like rain because, I don't know, it's wet. Um, and so we will, uh, if it is raining, we will be inside. If it's not and we're outside, please come dress appropriately. If it's outside and it's hot, I'm wearing shorts. Yeah, it's Easter Sunday, but guess what? There'll be nice shorts. I mean, but uh, it will be it will be shorts for me. So be prepared for that and uh, and bring people who... Uh, have never come to church before. It's always a great Sunday because people are a little more open to coming to church on Easter Sunday. We are at the end of this series, The Jesus Way, and I appreciate that Daryl led you into applause for that, that this series is ending, because it has been the longest series that we have done, um, if not uh, ever. Uh, It's been the longest one in a long time because my attention span um, just really can't handle this. So I'm excited that we're moving on as well. I'm also excited about what's coming after Easter. But if you haven't been here, and if you just decided to show up on Palm Sunday, just because, uh, maybe you just drove in from Florida because you just got a job transfer and just moved here. Somebody in the audience says that is the case for them. Uh, so if, you, if you're just here today, let me tell you what's happened. 
previously on New Heights. What we have done is we have been focusing on this book called The Jesus Way. It's written by Eugene Peterson. The Jesus Way, a conversation on the way that Jesus is the way. And, and what Peterson's whole theory is, is that we've taken the scripture when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've taken that scripture and we've focused on the truth. And we've stopped there. Truth is good. Truth is real. It's, it's true. But... If we just accept Jesus and we don't do anything about it, then we're missing what God wants us to do. If we just stop up here and don't make that truth a part of who we are, then we've lost the way. We've lost the way in which Jesus lived his life and the way in which he commanded us to live ours as well through those great commandments. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if we don't do that then we're missing it all. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking over the past eight weeks at at different characters from the Bible, different people who have their stories recorded in the text. And and we've, we've kind of looked at how they lived their life and how it reflected that of Jesus. Or over the past couple of weeks, what we've been doing is looking at counterexamples. We've looked at King Herod and the way in which he lived his life and the Pharisees and how they lived their life. And then we looked at uh, uh, Josephus and the zealots last week, and the way in which they lived their lives, and how that was contrary to what Jesus would have us do. And so today we are going to close with another contrary example. And because it is Palm Sunday, and because we are leading up to that that crucifixion moment, we will focus on Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas, as I say that, doesn't get a lot of press. He's not like King Herod. King Herod is everywhere. People talk about King Herod. Because King Herod was a big deal. As we talked about, he had more money than anybody ever. He built all these amazing things. He was a powerful man. But Caiaphas doesn't get the same kind of recognition. However, he was a pretty big deal of his own right. Caiaphas, if you'll remember, was the chief priest of the Jewish faith at the time of Jesus' death. We put it another way. He was the head pastor of Jerusalem. He was the dude in charge of the temple. If you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, this is the, the beginning of the crucifixion story. This is where we, we hear about the Last Supper. We hear about uh, Judas uh, agreeing to betray Jesus. We, we see the garden happen, and then we go into all of uh, the crucifixion process. Chapter 26 here, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover celebration begins in two days and I, the son of man, will be betrayed and crucified. Heavy stuff for him to be telling his disciples right there. He's been telling them this for a little bit, but not as plainly. And right here he goes in two days. This is what's going to happen. And then this is one of those moments where I think. God has my sense of humor in mind when he writes. He says at the same time, meanwhile, back at the ranch, I just, I love that kind of language. At the same time, the leading priests and other leaders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, to discuss how to capture Jesus secretly and put him to death. But not during the Passover, they agreed, or there will be a riot. So what's been going on here is while Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's about to happen, the ones who would carry it out are doing the same thing. Everybody's in line. 
Everyone's moving forward with the plan and what's going to happen. You may ask yourself, why do the priests, what was their bone to pick with Jesus? What did they have against him? I mean, he wasn't really trying to throw them out of their place. And then what about this pilot guy? What role does he have in all of this? Well, let's start with Pilate. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, was the leader, the Roman leader of that area at the time. He was put in place by Caesar to govern and to keep the people under control. Wasn't so good at it. He kind of had, you know, Rome had kind of a love-hate relationship with him. You know, we like you sometimes, but then you're really just a mess-up person, and you just mess things up, and really, one more time, and we're getting rid of you. So his job security was a little iffy. And now all this stuff starts bubbling up. All this stuff about this guy, Jesus. Here comes the high priests, and they come in, and they're wailing and moaning about this guy, Jesus, and i got to do something about it because if this gets back to Caesar, things are going to go bad for me. And if you look at it from Pilate's perspective, he kind of doesn't want to do it, right? I mean, he's kind of like, well, what about this guy? Why don't you crucify this guy, Jesus Barabbas, who was a murderer? Let's get rid of this guy and just leave this guy alone. They're like, no, we want that guy. And Pilate's like, "Ah," he's kind of, I almost feel a little bad for him because he's torn. But because of his political situation, because of the fact that if he messes up one more time, Caesar's going to come down and remove him from the position, and probably in two pieces. He's like, this Jesus guy's really kind of become a political thorn in my side, so I guess it's now time to deal with him. It was a political move, really, for Pilate. Jesus was an inconvenient political person. And so it happened that it was time for him to go. Then you look at Caiaphas, the high priest. Now let me tell you something about the high priest. The priests of the time who ran the temple, they were loaded. I mean, they weren't like King Herod loaded, but they were loaded. They had some money. They had some cash. They walked around. They were living large. They had, if you go to Jerusalem now and you can tour some of the areas where they think the the homes of some of the priests of the time through archaeology and different things, they, they believe that like this one house is three stories tall, which big deal then, big deal now. It had hot running water. You're like, so what? So do I. Think about it. Hot running water. It's not like they had, you know, a little water heater to, to turn on. and to. It took some ingenuity to do that and probably some slavery to do that. They had pools. They had these beautiful mosaic floors. They had an amazing house because they had a lot of money. The people who were in power had some serious coin in the temple. And you might say they were Sadducees. And, and you know, a lot of times Jesus spoke more harshly against the Sadducees than he did the Pharisees. And maybe there's a theological rift going on there. But I think more it was an economic reason that Caiaphas and his gang didn't want Jesus around anymore. One of the ways they got their money was at Passover time, when you came to Jerusalem to the temple to make your sacrifice, what you needed to do was to bring a lamb with you that was without blemish. A lamb without blemish. Now, you might have a lamb in your stock at home that is without blemish, but then you have to pick your lamb up and travel miles and miles and miles across the desert 
to get to the temple. By the time you get to the temple, the chances of your lamb still being without blemish are remote. So what the priests do, ah, we see a market. When you cut, just leave your lamb at home. When you come to Jerusalem, come to us, we'll sell you a lamb. No, don't think anything of it. I know it's a hard, arduous journey across the desert. So when you come here, we're just going to go ahead and we'll have a stock full of unblemished holy lambs that you can then sacrifice. So we'll take care of that for you. And it will be a reasonable price. Oh, I'm sorry, you want to pay with the money that you brought? (laughs) That's unclean money, sir. No, we can't accept your money because it's not holy. We need temple money. So, okay, no, we got this taken care of too. What we're going to do is we're going to set up little money exchanging things here. So you can bring me your unclean, your dirty money. And for a small fee, I'll give you some temple, holy money. And then you can go buy the lamb, Crazy Larry's lambs. They were dirty. They It seems like they were crooks. They were taking advantage of the way that God set up a sacrifice to himself and they were charging people for it and making tons of money because of it. And here comes this guy who wants to destroy this whole thing. Now you're hitting me where it hurts, fella. I don't care if you talk bad about me, but if you start taking money out of my pocketbook, we're going to have to talk. And it seems like Caiaphas has a little bit of an economic edge to him, that Jesus was economically inconvenient for him. And because of it, he said, you know what, we just we better get rid of this guy. All the high priests get together and they're like, you know, money's nice. I don't want to move to a two-story house with cold water. So let's get rid of this guy. Politically motivated, economically motivated. You know what? Then you have Jesus who comes into town. Who comes into town riding on a donkey. And as Daryl talked about it. Hosanna, come save us. And waving these palm branches around. And if you think about it, Jesus came from an area where zealots were huge. He came from Galilee. Cana of Galilee was a stronghold of zealots. Gamla, which is in Galilee, was a stronghold of zealots. He had in his party two zealots. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Iscariot was another place where zealots were known to be. So coming in, you see all these people going, woohoo, here comes this guy who's going to overthrow everybody. Yeah. Caiaphas gets a little worried. As Daryl said, Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. You still don't get it after everything I've taught you, after everything I've showed you. It's not about a violent overthrow of the government. It's about loving and serving It's not about killing, it's about dying. It's about sacrifice. You see all of these things and how they go, and you can can see the path that Jesus is taking. You can see the path that he's taking, and it's contrary to the world. It's contrary to what's happening in the world at that time, to the way the high priests were acting. It's contrary to the way that the political institutions of the world were acting. And so he was a threat. I tell you, I, I don't know how many times I've fallen into those two aspects of things, political and economic, when I've allowed those motivations to rule my life. 
You know, politics is everywhere. And I'm not talking Republican, Democrat. I'm talking politics, right? Politics is everywhere. There's always political situations. There's always a political environment at work. You know office politics are there. Everybody knows it. Even at church, on a church staff, we have office politics. At home, you have these family dynamics that can kind of, you don't call them political, you call them family dynamics, but it's kind of a political situation. Which side are you going to align yourself with? Who is it that I think has the right path and I'll get on this side? And, you know, a lot of times as I look back over my life, I can, I can kind of see myself walking in these paths where I, where I align myself with one group and I begin to not really like the other group. It's not really intentional. I just start off this way and I begin to start thinking these things about the other side. Well, they're not for us, so they're against us. And so I'm against them as well. And sometimes I find myself getting into these actions where I start acting in a contrary way that Jesus would have me to the people on the other side. I start treating them the way that God doesn't want me to. Just because they're not believing the same thing I am. I think we all do this from time to time. Then there's that economic side. Yesterday I did a wedding. A guy asked, we were in an old schoolhouse that had been renovated into a party facility. And, and I was talking, I said, you know, I used to be a teacher. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, I taught fifth grade a, a long time ago for three years. And, and, uh, and then I decided I wanted to make a, a lot of money. And so I quit. And he started, he did the same thing you did. He started laughing. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, I didn't go straight into being a pastor. I, I, tried, uh, I tried my hat in another ring of sales. Oh. Anybody that's a salesperson out there, God love you. God love you. Boy, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was selling stuff that was good stuff. And let me tell you, before I say all this, salespeople aren't bad. There are some bad salespeople. There are some bad pastors, bad teachers. There's rotten apples in every keg. But when I was going through this life as a salesman, I was selling something that I believed in, that I thought was good, that I thought was beneficial to the people that I was selling it. And yet I found myself just after a while kind of being eaten up inside because I was pushing these things on people that I knew would help them. But I also knew that it was going to cost a lot of money. And I also knew it would make me some money, but I also knew that it was going to cost them a lot of money. And I had this whole conversation in my head of, is it about you getting money or about them spending money? And anybody that's a salesperson will tell you, if you're thinking that you're in the wrong business. Because I I was just eating myself up inside that I was driving myself. Well, you could use these products, but really these would be better and cost more. But they really would be better. And I I just had this kind of in my pit of my stomach, this economic thing that was going back and forth. And I realized that, that I left teaching not for money, but for something completely different. I thought it was money, but it wasn't. And God reminded me of that. In a dream that uh, it's not about money for you, dude. Wake up. And so I chose a different path. But we find ourselves sometimes falling into these two aspects of, you know, what's driving our life. And really what you can boil it down to, are you letting the world drive your life or are you letting Christ? That's what this entire series has been about. Are you allowing the world to tell you how to live your life, to tell you what to do in your life, to tell you what to think, what to say, what to do, or Are you following the Jesus way? Are you allowing God to dwell inside of you? 
Are you a person who goes into the world and people see God, not you? I said this a few weeks ago. When I die, I want people to remember not what I said, not who I was, but I want them to reflect on God. And maybe that sounds like, oh, yeah, whatever. You're trying to be a preacher and that's the right thing to say. But I honestly want that to happen. Yeah, maybe a couple of my jokes here and there. But for the most of it, for the, for the gut of me, what I want from every sermon that I give, I don't want people to see me or to hear my voice. I want it to be God. When I go into the world and I have an interaction with somebody, I don't want it to be me that they're encountering. I want it to be God. And the only way I can do that is to read my Bible, to be in the way, to know the truth and to carry it forward in my life, to allow the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me to come from me so that when people encounter me, they walk away going, dang, something was different about that guy and I want a piece of it. And if they come ask me and I say, it wasn't me. I want to live my life in such a way that people know God. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I fail, though. I can't tell you how many times I get up in the morning and I have the greatest intentions to live my life more and more like Christ that day. And then Corbin wakes up. Are you kidding me with throwing stuff again? And then I get to the church, I read my emails, and I'm like, okay, here we go, let's focus, let's center again. And, and somebody comes to me with something, and I'm like, really? Every day, every day I start off with the best intentions. God, just use me today, let me be less, and you be more. And every day at the end of the day, I'm like, man, boy, there are some opportunities missed today. So look, I'm not saying when you walk out of this room today, you're going to be Jesus Christ. That'd be cool if you did, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's the bar. That is where we're going. But you're going to fail. You're going to fall along the way. You're going to have those moments where you knock it out of the park and you go and you serve somebody and you just walk away and you don't want credit. You just want God to have glory and God and everybody in heaven are doing as Daryl said, the little spirit line. I really wanted Daryl to do that earlier, but you'll also have those moments where you fail and where you fall and where you miss the mark. On Thursday night, Jenna came up here and she did her sharing grace thing that we we talked about it a few times, and, and, and let me tell you, she's in the room right now, so uh, I may get emotional about saying this. Blew the doors off this place. Bam! Let me tell you what she's not gifted at. Public speaking. She's not. She did awesome. She did so great. I was so proud of her. I was sitting in the, it was all women. And I was sitting in the back, I was running the computer, and I was so proud of her. I mean, she did stuff like <laughs> blowing her nose in the microphone like five times. That is not what a pro does. <laughs> She'd take a sip of water and wouldn't mute her mic, so <laughs> But let me tell you something. The reason that she was so powerful and the reason that God blew people's hair back in here was because she allowed God to speak through her. 
And that's, I told her later that night that I was so proud of her. I was so proud of how she came up here and just blew people away. There were people who have known her since she was a child who couldn't believe that she would get up here and speak. Her mother, who is deathly afraid of speaking in front of large groups of people, like, I think she might pass out if she were up here at this point, couldn't believe Jenna's ability to do this. And let me tell you why Jenna was able to do this. Because she just... What I prayed for her is that she would empty herself and allow God just to come through. And whatever happens, happens. And she wrote out her little talk and she had her outline and she went off her outline so many times, which is great. And what I told her, when you let God work, that's going to happen. When you let God take a hold of who you are, you are going to say something to someone that you later think that was genius. That was theological brilliance. It wasn't you. It was God working through you. And he can use anyone. He can use me to reach somebody. He can use Jenna to reach somebody. He can use anyone in this world to be the hands and feet of Christ if we let him. If we live the Jesus way. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. For all that you have done for us. For the way that you sacrificed your life for us. For the way that you gave us the example of how we are to live our life. God, help us. Help us to take that inside of who we are. That we may open our lives up to your spirit, to your leading. So that when we go forward from this room, we would no longer just be ourselves. That we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that we would be the hands and feet of Christ. And God, there will be moments where we fail and we fall. But that's okay. Because that's why you died. That's why you died. That's why you conquered death. That's why you rose from the grave. God, give us the strength and the courage to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, to live the Jesus way. On the night in which he was to be betrayed, he sat with his disciples around the table and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to God. And he said, thank you, God, for this bread. Bless you. And he said, take, eat all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper, he took the cup and he raised it to God and he gave thanks to God. And he said, take this drink, all of you. This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So God, we ask as we come forward to your table that you would make this be for us, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that you would help us to be living sacrifices for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As the people who are assisting with communion come forward, I'm going to tell you two things. One, this isn't God's table. Just kidding. It's not the Methodist table. There's Easter egg people pushing me out in the parlor. Sorry, Gina, Bill, we're doing communion. Back off, lady. This isn't the Methodist table. This isn't Alamo Heights table. This is God's table. This is a table prepared for us by Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection. And because of that, all who desire to come forward and to partake are welcome. The second thing is this. We do uh, communion here by intention, which means you will be given a piece of the bread to which you will then dip into the cup. The table is prepared. The banquet is set. Come.